Westworld Season 1, Episode 7 is over, but we're just getting started talking about it on Post Show Recaps. It's the Welcome to Westworld podcast on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. If this doesn't sound like anything to you, you might be a host, but you are not the host of this podcast. That would be me, Josh Wigler, and my co-host, Joe Garfine. Joe, how are you? I'm glad I'm not the blood sacrifice. Thank you. Yeah, the sacri- the island has uh, demanded a sacrifice, Joe, once again. More than one, my friend. Multiple sacrifices have been made to the Westworld gods and even the Westeros world gods, I'm sure, <laughs> in this week's episode of Westworld. We'll talk all about that uh, in just a second on the off chance that you have not seen the seventh episode of Westworld. Get out of here now. <laughs> Leave. Explain. <laughs> just explore other corners of the internet until after you have seen that episode and then come back to us and listen to this podcast because we're going to go into full detail on everything that happened in this week's episode. It was nuts. It was wild. Uh, We kind of called some of it, so that feels good, (laughs) right, Joe? Listen, we will take the little victories this week. Yes, take all the wins that we could possibly get in light of everything. So we are very, we're feeling very good about this week's episode of Westworld. Go check it out, then join us here. Now we're going to talk about it all. That's a sufficient enough spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, Joe Bernard is indeed a host. This is a thing. It's not just crazy speculation. Now it's real. It's very, actually, it was very surreal to have that reveal. Um, I thought it was very well done. From the direction uh, to the script to even the choreography of the scene, just fascinating to watch it revealed. And now I do want to go back and rewatch everything, knowing what we know now, which, of course, we'll do at the end of the season. But, oh, boy, I thought that, you know, you've been team Bernard since day one. And I was a little I was a little slower to adapt. You know, I'm team Elsie. And uh, I just think that Jeffrey Wright was just phenomenal. And the way he's held himself so human and seemingly sensitive that, you know, I feel like we were right in sort of guessing that if Bernard is a host, he's the highest functioning host to date. And that's, that's terrifying and amazing. Yeah. I would imagine that he is, uh, you know, scoring a 14 for overall intelligence at the very least. Yes. You know, if Maeve is a 14, we got to think Bernard is got He's got to be close to a 20. Yeah. They probably bent the rules with this guy a little bit. Absolutely. I just, you know, we'll get to that scene at the end, but it certainly was, I think, one of the most important scenes of the season thus far. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you and I talk all the time about, like, best scene ever <laughs> and thing, and things like that. And I, I, this was a chilling scene. It was very, very harrowing and haunting, very scary, emotional, just a lot going on in this scene. So it's certainly a contender for one of the great scenes of Westworld so far. But I think in terms of, like, um, you know, what, what are your game changing moments? What are your big, uh, cliffhangers? You know, like what, what are your, um, episode nines of Game of Thrones level types of event? I think that this is the first one of those that we've gotten. Like, I, you know, it's just the first season of Westworld. So to compare it shoulder to shoulder with like a red wedding feels ridiculous to me. But it's like that, that's, that's the level of it internally so far in Westworld. Like this is the biggest thing that has happened so far is not just the reveal of Bernard being a host, but the way that it's revealed in simultaneously taking Teresa off the board. Yes, that was quite the surprise. Uh, that's one way to get rid of your corporate, um, the head of corporate. <laughs> and uh, there are so many different layers and levels now. We have been speculating about, um, you know, William being the man in black. We've discussed the possibility of multiple timelines. And now we have to consider, knowing what we know about Bernard, what comes into play logistically and linearly? Yeah, no. Well, that's something we've been tracking, you know, already. And I think that this certainly really makes us feel like we, it was worthwhile to pay attention to a lot of that stuff and talk it through. Now that we know that Bernard is a host, uh, we hear from Ford in this episode, you know, we're just starting to put together what we know about Bernard, the host. Um, and, you know, he's been here for many, many years. He was not here in the Arnold days, according to Ford. Uh, it, Bernard was here. He brought Teresa to this location on Ford's request. So Ford is clearly paying attention to Bernard's activities and monitoring him. And it makes you wonder what else has Bernard done on the show with Teresa, especially that was actually Bernard or some sort of programming from an overlord in Ford. Uh, 
it's very it's very frightening to consider those possibilities and also it makes you wonder about the charlie stuff it makes you wonder about bernard's kid and his wife gina torres who we have seen on the show before is any of that real is that just part of the story that his programming is built on um or if you are like sarah freeman and myself and i believe you as well now joe hopefully uh and many others are you on the bernardold train and is this something that just really further enforces this theory that's going around that not only is bernard a host which now we know is true but that we will also come to discover that arnold is going to be a character played by jeffrey wright and bernard Bernard is modeled after this man somehow. I think that I am on the Bernardold train. Um, the thing that throws me off is, you know, the, the photo they flashed earlier of young Ford and um, Arnold. It's, Obviously, it's worth it, a, it's worth a revisit given recent events, Joe. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I know. I need to go back and uh, uh, there's probably screen grabs all over Reddit, uh, which, you know, while while I'm podcasting or if I'm ever writing about a show, I tend to not go into um, message boards and chat rooms and discussions because I don't want anyone else's theory to sort of penetrate my brain. Yes. Uh, and usually after a season ends, I go in. But I am cer- certainly interested in Googling a screen capture of the original Arnold and Ford photo now. Um, and I haven't had time, but I would like to. Well, I went back and <laughs> watched this scene, Joe, in light of the Bernard reveal. I went back and I checked it out. And when you go and you look at that photo and you go to that scene, it's in Ford's office office and Bernard is trying to figure out why are people talking about an Arnold? What's an Arnold? Uh, And Ford gives him the real download, haha, on who Arnold was. Uh, And he shows him the picture and there's a picture of Ford as a young man next to an older man and people are assuming that older man is Arnold. But if you take a closer look, and I think actually some people have pegged that that older man is actually Ford's father based on the the host version of Ford's father that we saw back in episode Ah. 6. Um, so that's, that's connected to why Bernard, when he meets that guy in the cottage says, are you Arnold? Cause he saw him in the photo as well. Um, now that you know that Bernard is a host and that Bernard and other hosts are designed not to see the things that can hurt them. That's why he looks at the schematic that Teresa Hansen says, that doesn't look like anything to me, <laughs> uh, that that's the way that they react to information that can harm them. So when you look at that photo of Ford, this man who maybe we believed at the time is Arnold, but is actually probably Ford's father, there is like a man-sized empty space next to Ford's father. Like Ford's father mm. could put- potentially be in the center of three people, the, you know, the person in the middle of that three. And it would, you know, suppose that at some point we're going to see Arnold and it's going to be Bernard. It's going to be Jeffrey Wright. And that is why Bernard can't see him in that photo is because he wouldn't be able to see himself in this context. That's really, really cool. And I, I wouldn't be surprised with the, you know, such obfuscation. I think that this kind of show leans itself toward that direction where it, now you have to go back and fill in the puzzle pieces. So, wow. I like it. I'm glad that you did the homework for me. Thank you. Uh, here's another interesting thing that's fueling the Bernard is Arnold idea for me is uh, it's it's music. Music is so important. We, bear, we don't talk about it nearly enough here on the podcast about just the music of this series and how much fun it is to hear a radio head, you know, player piano cover can be can be great or a black hole sun or whatever. But this is actually the the Debussy music, the the song, the, the piece Reverie um, that you hear at the beginning of this episode in the scene where Bernard, if that is indeed Bernard, is with Charlie and he's reading from Alice in Wonderland. Um, And this is not the first time we've heard this piece, Reverie, which obviously the name is evocative of the reveries on the show that are supposedly, quote unquote, causing violent glitches in the hosts, but we know better that that was just a sham. Um, But there's this, this piece that plays in the beginning of this episode and also plays in the scene with Ford uh, in episode three when he is talking to Bernard about who Arnold is, the scene we already discussed. Uh, when they walk into Ford's office, there's a host playing at the piano and is playing this piece. Um, and my wife pointed this out to me as we were watching the episode, my wife Emily, because she is a music major. She, you know, that's, that's what she studied in school. She's a violinist. She has a great ear for music and she will always recognize something and she just connected it immediately. And to me, it made me wonder, because that's a deliberate thing, to have that, to yeah. have 
have that piece called Reverie on the show twice and where it's been. And maybe it's been in other spots and I haven't gone back and, and revisited that. So let us know if that's the case. But at least in these two instances, it made me wonder, sort of in the way that we only really hear Radiohead on this show as it connects to Maeve, I feel like maybe we should be paying attention to music cues as they relate to characters. And perhaps the music cue, not for Ford, but for Arnold, is this piece Reverie. And that would add some interesting context to Reverie playing in the background as Bernard is reading to Charlie, unless that's actually a vision of, of, of the past of the actual Arnold with his son, Charlie. And those are the memories that this host, Bernard, is grasping onto. Nice catch, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just tinfoil nonsense, but I thought that I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that she, she connected something pretty interesting there. Our first hashtag of the podcast is tinfoil nonsense. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I've been obsessed with the piano and, and that there might be code within the music. Right. Um, and so I'm totally on board. And again, when I go back and rewatch, I want to pay meticulous attention to the usage of musical cues. You know, you and I got used to drink for Lost Alert. Uh, we're used to character cues that Giacchino used on Lost right. uh, for certain characters. And it didn't even occur to me it should have for this show as well. It's something worth considering. And I mean, I don't know what it would tell you other than it's supposed to ground the character in a certain mood or a certain idea or anything. Um, I don't know how much there is to track, but that might be something to pay attention to if you're thinking of why was Reverie on the show twice uh, and why was it in a scene with Ford talking about Arnold and maybe it was playing in this scene with Bernard, who is actually Arnold. Who knows? It's a possibility and I like it. I think it could be fun. I I think you're onto something because, you know, this whole show opens with the the white i call it the white walker playing the piano right and then you know it's in the saloon and there's music constantly so we'll just start paying a little closer attention all right we'll pay closer attention to that uh we got a ton of feedback for this episode of the show obviously because it was such a massive episode so we'll take it uh and tackle it as we are going through the podcast here so while we're talking about bernardold uh this was from easy e on twitter who pointed out a theory to you and i joe uh about a three timeline theory We've been talking a lot about two possible timelines where there's everything that's happening in the main action that we're seeing right now and then everything that's happening in William and Dolores' timeline, which would be about 30 years earlier than the present, assuming that William eventually goes on to become the man in black. How about Mm -hmm. a third timeline, Joe? How does that make you feel? Well, I, it didn't occur to me until the reveal of Bernard. So, you know, I, I started to question these scenes where it was always bothering me when Bernard met with Dolores in the basement that no one else knew about it or paid attention to it. And now, you know, it seems very calculated by Ford. So this is, this is the theory. The theory goes that the current timeline Bernard, a.k.a. host Bernard, is a copy of Arnold. The scenes where Bernard is interviewing Dolores are actually Arnold and Dolores in a timeline pre-William and Logan. It's mm. probable that many of the scenes featuring Bernard are actually Arnold flashbacks. What do you think about that idea? Do you buy into that? Do you think that there's something there? I need to go back and rewatch the scenes, but I love that idea. I'm just wondering about if they used less technology in those scenes that wouldn't, you know, necessarily tip their hat to the fact that it was 30 years ago. Uh, you know, because I think he uses voice commands mostly in those scenes, you know, remove emotional content, you know, give me the analysis. Whereas the old models, the early models from 30 years ago wouldn't necessarily be as updated but I, I i am definitely on board for that third timeline yeah i think it's i think it's likely that's how i've been reading it just under this uh this crackpot idea that bernard and arnold are going to be the same guy uh and i'm feeling it more than ever joe feeling confident about it since we got the first part of this right we gotta feel like we're gonna get the second part too well now i'm wondering you know is it too on the nose or obvious or are they playing with the fans that theorize to have two characters be the same person bernard old and then william being the man in black i just feel like we're gonna be wrong real soon about the other nothing would make me happier i would love to, i would love to be wildly wrong uh <laughs> I, that would be great it'd be great sometimes actually joe it, not often but sometimes being wrong feels really really good 
I specialize in being wrong, and it's very enjoyable. Um, all right, so let's talk about the scene kind of just in general. I think it's it's one thing to you know have confirmation that Bernard is a host. That's something we've been speculating about. It's really cool that that was right, and the implications of what happens next, I think, are, are pretty massive. But the way that it lands, I think, is really worth dissecting. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that this information could have been conveyed to us on the show. You can easily envision the scenario scenario where Bernard, uh, after, you know, having a, a night rendezvous with Teresa, walks down the hallways, goes down all of the escalators, and winds up in Ford's secret chamber and reports back to his boss. Like, you can see that version of it. That totally exists somewhere in an alternate universe. <laughs> the version we got was a lot scarier, uh, a lot more violent. It's the death of Teresa. Sidsy Babbitt Knutson, that, that actress, is, is gone. She's toast. She's been killed here uh, on the show by Bernard with one swift punch um, in this really, really horrible, horrible nightmare scene. Like, everything leading up to it is just so awful. You know, we know how much Teresa hates Westworld. She does not like it here. She's hated it since she was a kid. She has spent the past several weeks being, you know, menaced and unnerved by either Robert Ford or the weird glitches that are happening here or the stress of being the moly, moly, moly. All of this <laughs> has really been heavily weighing on her. And like the only person that she even trusts or likes a little bit Bernard ends up being in her like eyes like one of these nightmare creatures and turns on her and kills her. It's such a dark ending for that character. It's really it's really something, you know, almost straight out of Stephen King, forget Michael Crichton, like there's just a real nightmare quality to this reveal. It was brutal and uh I think, you know, we had a particularly sensitive sensitive week. So between the Clementine uh violence and this, and I know certain certain shows and certain storylines, um, you know, that the violence is warranted. And I think, and I think I'm just overly sensitive this week because of the world. Sure. Um, but it was particularly brutal to me. And I know it, it, uh, it did serve the story. Um, yeah, I will miss that actress. I, I actually was growing, I was growing fond of evil Teresa. Me um, but too. Then, right. I mean, she's an incredible actress, but then I'm going back and thinking everything Bernard did was manipulated by Ford. You know, I think, Ford tried to say that really their their relationship wasn't fabricated that it that just sort of happened but I don't believe it at all. Yeah, well I mean even even still I mean I guess this comes down to the argument of like do the hosts have, you know, their own, you know, their own drives? Can they act on their own accord? Was anything that Bernard uh, was doing was any of that independent? Was any of that improvisational? Was that any was any of that authentic to the emotion of what was going on between him and Teresa? Or was it just that this guy was perfectly designed to be Teresa's type? Um, and so it worked out. It worked out the way that it worked out. Uh, I think that that's, you know, kind of the central question in sort of the philosophy of these hosts and their individuality and everything. So I think it's, it's really, it's really interesting because certainly the Bernard that we've come to know and love on the show, that man, if he's in com complete control over his functions, isn't ending this episode the way he ends the episode. He's not, you know, punching Teresa into a wall. Uh, he might punch Ford into a wall in that moment, but he is under Ford's control. Um, and that's alarming for so many reasons because let's say the timelines are straightforward. Uh, and, and, you know, Bernard has been seeing Dolores and running diagnostics on her and being interested in that. Um, even put that aside and think about everything that's been going on with Bernard and Elsie. Um, if Bernard knew that Elsie was looking into something, then you probably assume that Ford knew because what does Bernard know that, for, that Ford doesn't? So does, Nothing. So does Ford have Elsie? Uh, and is that a really bad possible outcome for Elsie? Um, that's, uh, that's a frightening prospect for that character that I know you and I both really like. <sighs> Team Elsie, man. They cannot kill my girl, Shannon Woodward, on that show. No, I, know. I refuse. Colin Stone would also be very upset. Uh, so I <laughs> I don't know. I, I think uh, it's th there's a lot going on here. And, for, you know, Ford is really an interesting player in all of this. Clearly, Anthony Hopkins is remarkable. And in a in a show that's been filled with nonstop remarkable Anthony Hopkins moments, this was this was a real treat. You know, this was him. You know, really going to the Hannibal well. I think. Oh my gosh! It, oh, what, what, do you hear the lambs, Clarice? When yeah. he was down. Oh my gosh! That look he gave. 
Yeah, and when he whispers in Teresa's ear, I got to do some interviews surrounding this scene, and I got to talk to Sidsa Babbitt Knutson, who plays Teresa, and she said that was completely improvised. Uh, that Anthony Hopkins just like strode up to her and just whispered in her ear without planning that at all. Uh, and she, you know, she was definitely getting Silence of the Lambs vibe. She said Clarice never got that. Uh, <laughs> so it really does, it's evocative of that. You know, when, you know, Anthony Hopkins plays one of the great horror icons of all time so he has that gear inside of him and we've seen chilly moments with ford but this to me was the most mechanical and i know some people are wondering like is ford a host too i'm not really on on board with that so when i mean mechanical i think that there's just something really inhuman about this guy who actually is human as far as we know and i think that that's a really powerful thing that as we're talking about the humanity in a bunch of inhumans in the form of these hosts to look at the inhumanity of a guy of an actual human like ford is a fascinating really terrifying look really remarkable stuff from anthony hopkins in this episode agree wholeheartedly and you know i keep thinking that that you know the two major characters and stories now that we have the bernard reveal i'm trying to figure out ford's endgame and i'm still convinced it's entirely tied into the man in black i'm still convinced that they are brothers or they are related and that the the that the man in black is terminally ill and that's why it's his last round in the park and he needs to get to the center of the maze or figure out the game. And Anthony Hopkins, sorry, Dr. Ford, at this point, I'm starting to think that they're working together. I like it. I think that there's, you know, I think that they're certainly both after the same thing and whether it's in conjunction with each other or their parallel paths that are, you know, going to intersect at the center of this thing. You definitely, this episode made you feel like we're rushing closer to that moment. Um, for sure. And one thing I think that we can suppose about Ford, given everything that he, you know, all of the intelligence that he's able to gather uh, through Bernard, but I think that there's, you know, outside of Bernard, there's an interesting thing that Ford says as he's cornering Teresa. Uh, you know, he uses the language that Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte Hale, earlier in the episode used, a blood sacrifice. And, yes. And then he, you know, that's when he leans in to Teresa's ear and whispers, like I said, I built all of this, which strongly suggests that he overheard the conversation between Charlotte and Teresa, uh, that if he's, you know, if he knows that exact poll quote you would guess that he has that room bugged or probably more likely most if not all of this place under his surveillance which means that the plan that the board is cooking up and even the smuggling of data out of the park by Teresa you would think that Ford knows about at this point Um, so he has an edge on the board in a very very big way this is a huge loss of a character that's happening here but a really big win for whatever end game Ford is playing here i have to go back and look at that luncheon that you know he had with teresa that ford had with teresa two episodes ago and what he was saying and that he you know he knows everything about every employee and every guest and that you know we've i've joked about the uh, crappy surveillance within the hq but really it seems lax but ford does have eyes and ears everywhere he does I want to get your take on something here, Joe. Uh, you know, we, we wonder what is, what's Ford's purpose here? What's Ford's plan here? Um, another person that we have to wonder about is like, what's Arnold's purpose here? Arnold wanted to have these hosts discover consciousness. Is he still working towards something like that? Uh, we also have the board now. Um, the board is in the mix here as a player. Is the board, you know, what, what is their agenda? What is it that they're after? And we're hearing in this episode that there is a special pr- project of some kind uh that they have their special research that they're working on uh we got this question in from our philly that's kind of leapfrogging off of that idea working on the supposition that either the board or arnold himself are pursuing a means to upload an individual human consciousness into a host do you expect we would see ford or the man in black successfully transition into a host by the conclusion of this season which would be more appealing for you to see make that transition so going from philly's question Joe, do you think that that's something that we're building towards? Do you think that that is part of whatever plan is going on here with the board when they're looking at wider implications beyond the park, that they're looking to upload consciousness to an artificial body? Well, if, well, we know William and Logan work for a company, that they are there on assignment, yes, when they go into Westworld. So if William is indeed the man in black 
and that he's been playing the game for 30 years. Maybe he is the game. Maybe he's the one that does, we do realize by the end of either this season or another, that the man in black is indeed the ultimate host and he's, but does he's indestructible for some reason. So that's, I, I'm not sure, but I feel like if William who started off as a corporate man, you know, and I know that later on we find out the man in black has a quote foundation, you know, what if said foundation is the one that's been working with Ford to create this being, I know I know tinfoil nonsense hashtag, but I, I mean, you got to wonder, like, I mean, this is, this is the whole idea of Arnold to begin with of like, you know, we're wondering if this is going to happen. I think it's, it's equally valid to wonder this has, has this already happened? Like who, you know, which of these characters is a host with actual consciousness? I think in light of the Bernard reveal, uh, you really do question a lot and you even wonder if that exists within Bernard already. Uh, so I think that that's certainly, and I think when you're thinking about like the technological implications and the, the moral questions that are being asked by this show coming from someone like Jonah Nolan, who's very fascinating in these topics as seen in person of interest from what I know of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's a, that's a really high concept question you can see this show asking for sure. Um, turning back to Teresa quickly, this was something that came up from a lot of people. Um, you know, Sarah Freeman was talking about this online. We got written in by Brendan Fitzpatrick, Anessa wrote in as well, uh, about this, this host body that we are seeing in the basement that's being built, um, when Teresa and Bernard go down there. And obviously Teresa doesn't make it out of this room alive. And a lot of people, and even going back to Emily, when we were watching the episode, she said the same exact thing, but we'll use Anessa phrasing is ford building a teresa host in that basement is he replacing people with hosts or is my tinfoil hat screwed on too tight uh what do you (laughs) think what do you think this host is for joe do you think that this host is being built so that they can replace teresa do you think that we're going to see teresa still on the show except we're going to know that she's a host now Yes, I absolutely believe that. And I love the idea that over the past 30 years, he has disposed of human and created, you know, robot versions of various people who have uh, major access within the park on an HQ level. I love that. Yeah, I think it's certainly not impossible. I mean, again, I did a lot of these interviews around this episode, and I talked to uh, I talked to the actress who plays Teresa. I talked to Jeffrey Wright about the Bernard reveal, and one of the things that he had said to me was, "Everyone on this show, all of the actors have their little secrets." You know, his secret was that he knew starting after the after the pilot, after finishing the pilot, that's when he found out about the Bernard mm. twist. Uh, Interesting. That's when he. That's when Jonah and Lisa Joy. Uh, told Jeffrey Wright that Bernard was going to be a host, that they felt that there was enough nuance in the performance that Jeffrey Wright would need to know that Bernard is a host. Uh, And and then Jeffrey Wright told me that Sitsa's secret was that she was only here for seven episodes. Uh, So so she signed on knowing that she was going to die. So they say. Uh, (laughs) I I caution everyone to to recall that actors are professional liars. They (laughs) they They are paid to lie. You don't have to look any further than you know a certain and without saying proper nouns you know uh, a certain character on a certain hbo show uh, that was a lot of lying surrounding that character so that is something that happened so i wouldn't rule out the fact that Teresa could possibly return just by what some actors said in an interview they have to protect their secrets so it's entirely possible that that's going on but at least according to that it seems like Teresa is gone but I think there is still at the very least if it's not Teresa specifically there's no question that Ford is building hosts off the grid and that's very very bad (laughs) (laughs) it is it's scary right I believe that Bernard in the last episode said, this troubles me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it should trouble you. It's a very troubling development. And this is a question that I asked Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy uh, to kind of drill deeper into this idea of what is that host body we're seeing in this facility at the end of the episode. And Nolan replied, uh, it's, it's not in a literal sense. It's not going to matter in a literal sense. I think there's a suggestion here that Ford has been up to something, that he's slipped the leash of corporate control, and that his secrets permeate the park in addition to Arnold's. We thought that gave things a creepy sense. We'll return to that much later down the road. 
I followed mm. up by saying, so it's more about the idea than, than about this specific host. And Jonah Nolan said, yes. And Lisa Joy continued and said, it speaks to this kind of overarching thing that Ford is doing right now. He's making this great narrative. He's terraforming the park for parts of it. He's creating characters for it. It speaks to the idea that there's not a lot of oversight if he's creating some of these characters literally off the grid. There are not a lot of people who know exactly what he's planning for the park. Hmm. Chilling, scary in light of the side of Ford that we saw in this episode. I, I'm thinking we're going to get more than one season of Anthony Hopkins, man. I think so. By the way, you know, it's taking us almost a full half hour into this podcast to say Westworld got renewed for a second season this week officially. <laughs> this is great um, news. This is awesome. I mean, I know we have a year to wait because it's a hard and expensive show to produce. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very happy because I feel like it's one of the highest quality shows we've had in years. It's really good. I really like it. I'm very happy talking about it with you every week, Joe. And even though it's going to take like two years for Westworld to come back or however long it's going to be, it'll be worth the wait. So I'm very happy that Westworld has been officially renewed. It seems like that was a given, but it's just yeah. nice, you know, to have uh, have something that seems like a given actually get locked up. I feel like that's that's a very good thing here with Westworld this week. And really, people like us, you know, are going to have a year to rewatch and overanalyze. It's going to be amazing. Yes, I agree completely. Um, anything else from this whole Bernard, Ford, Teresa triangle that you'd like to talk about before we talk about other things that happened in this episode? No, because, I mean, to me, it permeates out. You know, obviously, uh, where's our girl, Elsie? We don't know. Is it, it seems like Ford or one of his people, his minions, uh, took her. And, you know, I'm wondering if everything goes back to, quote, normal. If, let's say, Teresa goes missing. Um Let's say, you know, people find out that Elsie has been kidnapped. Does he make Bernard the hero in this right. situation to not to throw everyone off the scent? And no one would ever question you know, any for any reason, really, why Bernard is a host. But what, what in what capacity is Bernard reinserted into this particular current timeline? That's the kind of thing I'm going to be looking forward to. Well, I mean, it's worth noting that Bernard got fired. You know, right. Bernard, Bernard got laid off. He got, he got let go in the scene. I think this is a good time to talk about it. Everything that yeah. goes on with Clementine in the episode. Uh, so earlier in the episode, we see Charlotte and Teresa meet up. And this is where Charlotte is laying out, uh, you know, a little bit of exposition here. But sometimes you need that. Uh, <laughs> this whole idea that they, they need all of the information. They need to protect the IP here at Westworld. And all of that information has always been only at the park. That that is one of Ford's arcane conditions, and they're trying to move Ford out of the park. They're trying to push him out of power. They're trying to convince him to retire, and if he doesn't do it quietly and decides to destroy all of the IP, then through Teresa's actions, the board will still have backups of all of that. So that's the plan that's in place. Once again, the fact that Ford is going to use the line blood sacrifice that is used in this conversation between Charlotte and Teresa tells me that Ford knows that they're coming after him so that's great uh but we have from there we know that they that teresa and charlotte to, they're going to make a public display and so they have this situation where they bring in clementine they have this this host that is meant to read as human uh this really horrible violent fight breaks out between the two of them first the technician is really violently abusing clementine then they reset the situation then clementine gets up and just like goes full matrix on this guy <laughs> uh it's a really really cool scene and it's all a sham like all of this is for nothing but it's just to pin the the glitches that are happening in the hosts on the reverie updates that were masterminded by Ford to make him look like he needs to be taken out of power and they can pin it on Bernard because Bernard is Bernard is supposed to be the guy who sees these things coming through so they fire him there so we're now talking about an unemployed robot Bernard is a <laughs> character on the show and I think that he's going to be an interesting person to track given how this episode ends with Ford saying, come on, Bernard, we still have a lot of work to do on our new storylines, and they walk out together. So is Bernard just going to be working off the grid with Ford, or is he somehow going to reinstate him? But even to do that, he would have to convince Charlotte to rehire Bernard. So Right. That's why I'm wondering if he'll you know, insert him into a hero narrative of some sort in terms of uh, a human hero narrative. And I'm sorry, but when, as soon as uh, Ford said to Bernard, we've worked to do, I thought of taller ghost Walt and John Locke. Yes. And I just had a little bit of a flashback to our favorite uh, previous show. I mean, <laughs> they're, um, 
chilling would be a way to describe that entire scene and also way to set up the rest of the season. That was a home run. It was really, really good. Uh, and it was really, really devastating. Uh, the way that we lose Clementine in this, oh. in this episode was just, was just really, really awful. Uh, and I think really encapsulates the Westworld experience, which is, you know, these hosts are just being, you know, looted and killed and maimed and horribly abused for human gain. Um, and you see it in this really dramatic, brutal, depressing way through, you know, Clementine, uh, through Teresa and Charlotte using Clementine as the blood sacrifice, somebody completely unexpected, somebody that would have no reason to show violent tendencies and using her to demonstrate that the hosts are glitching when maybe they aren't actually glitching and the board is just making a power play on Ford. So Clementine is literally sacrificed for nothing more than a power play. Uh, and that's a, that's a really hard way to lose this character, but I think also a really great way of summing up all of the ideas that are at play on this show. I have to wonder now, because everything's so strongly tied to Maeve, you know, it, it, given what Ford knows, and we assume he knows everything, that he's he he has to be aware of Maeve's awakening. You would think so. And, I mean, we certainly already know that somebody with higher clearance access than Sylvester yes. and Felix had already been messing with Maeve. Uh, Ford would certainly fit the bill there, absolutely. I, I mean, he's he's building the best army of the best characters, which is Bernard and Maeve. <laughs> you know? That would be great if those are like his two wingmen, you know, moving. Oh, my forward. gosh. Like, these are just like his his uh, his ride or dies. That would be hardcore. I would love that. That's a great, great posse. The three of them. I would be a and fan of that. Career performances from Bernard, from Bernard, from Jeffrey Wright and from uh, Tandy Newton. Just just spectacular. What a what a playground to be on on this show for those two. Yeah. So this was a great episode, you know, kind of kind of quiet episode for Maeve in terms of, you know, amount of scenes. But I think in terms of the impact of the scenes, it was pretty, you know, it spoke for itself. Uh, and you have Maeve witnessing them, uh, witnessing Sylvester screw, you know, do the, lob the lobotomization, <sighs> which is just, it's so terrible to watch that happen to Clementine. And I think that, you know, pretty much takes Clementine off the board or at least puts her on the same level as Abernathy and everybody else who's been decommissioned. Um, which by the way, you do remember in the pilot episode, Bernard is down there as they put Abernathy back in cold storage and Bernard mm -hmm. whispers something into Abernathy's ear that we never hear. I totally forgot about that until now. Damn it, man. Now we know that he's a robot. What was he whispering? Is that some sort of sleeper command from Ford? If he's working some sort of Arnold agenda, what's going on there? Oh, you're a, oh, yeah, I'd love scary. you. Diana, but scary. Scary. Uh, it's it's, alert, it's really alert, alert. I would love to see the whiteboard with the ten episode arc, um, and you know the sort of through line and the thread because it really is something to see all of this come together. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's great. Uh, oh god, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, big fan of this. <laughs> anyway, so so Maeve watches this all happen to Clementine, and then Maeve is understandably very very upset about this, kind of calmly, quietly furious. Um, and tells Felix and Sylvester that they are going to help her escape or she will kill them. She has that amazing line of, I've died a million times and I'm effing great at it. How many <laughs> times have you died? Because if you don't help me, I'll kill you. Uh, and I think Sylvester seems to me to be a suggestible enough person and a self-interested enough person that he's probably going to bend the knee on this one. You think that some sort of escape attempt is imminent and Sylvester's going to help out. Absolutely. And Felix on the tech side. I feel like those are her puppets and she's terrifying. So they really don't have much of a choice. It's a, it's a great prospect. This is again, uh, more feedback from our Philly who says, is the idea of Maeve successfully escaping the facility and acting as our point of view character, exploring the larger world during a season two, as exciting to you guys as it is for me. Uh, obviously that's hypothetical, but that's an outcome that we should consider. Let's say Maeve is successful here joe she wants to leave she wants to bust out of here you two are going to help me or i'm going to kill you so let's say they make good on the promise and somehow miraculously it works what about a season two of just like mave on the run that's kind of fun 
I would be totally be down for Maeve on the run. That would be a good hashtag. Maeve um, on the run. But I'm still also convinced that despite the humans that populate the Westworld HQ, that it is a virtual experience a la the Matrix, that the guests are plugged in at no. another off-site facility. No, flesh and blood, yes. flesh and blood sacrifice must be Okay, required. well, you know, we shall see. I also am not convinced they're on planet Earth. And so if she escapes, I'm not sure she can survive. That that I'm more inclined for is the is the this is some sort of like is it a space station or is it a different planet or something like that I think that that's definitely possible I'm less inclined on the on the VR thing but I I happily salute you as you march down that rabbit hole <laughs> tin hat nonsense yes <laughs> tin foil hat nonsense for sure uh, so everything that's going on with Maeve is exciting and I don't know what that's building toward um, but to connect things back to Maeve a little bit and then to start talking about William and Dolores. Dolores, uh, you know, which I don't think that there's too much to talk about in the William and Dolores storyline other than if you're buying into this theory of William being a young version of the man in black. I think a lot of the information we get there is kind of instructive with William talking about how he used to find himself in stories uh, mm-hmm. and how can he ever go back now that he has felt something this real. Uh, the way that he is now talking about the Westworld experience does feel like origin story versions of the same kinds of ideas that will be expressed by Ed Harris's man in black at some point. I think that that's one thing that this episode accomplishes for me. Yes. And a, I don't miss Logan. No offense, Ben Barnes. I'm with you. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Captain douchebag. But I, (laughs) I will say that when they were on the train, uh, uh, my fiance turned to me and she's like, he knows she's a host, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Yep. And I said, these people willingly are sleeping with the hosts. It's part of the experience. You know, I bought into it. Well, I think that this is the turn. You know, he's falling in love with Westworld and he's falling in love with it through Dolores. Uh, And I think that, you know, the man that we saw in William in the early run of the show in his first few appearances, I think he comes across as somebody who's very gentle, as somebody who doesn't really buy this place, as somebody who's really resisting it. And I think if you really think about it, how long has he been here? Probably five days at most at this point, maybe seven, maybe a week. And this is how hard he's fallen for this place in a week. So I think that he's somebody who is uh, a real surprisingly easy customer, a really easy sell on a place like this. Somebody who's really going to find themselves in a place like Westworld. Somebody who, to quote the man in black, is born here in a sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that his his interest in stories from a young age... that's really instructive in that regard. Um, I think be- beyond that, the really, the really kind of interesting thing to me is everything that happens when the train goes through Ghost Nation territory, uh, Mission Impossible, Ghost Nation Protocol. Uh, and then- <laughs> I was thinking it was a clan on the hundred because there are twelve nations. <laughs> yeah, who's scarier, Ice Nation or Ghost Nation? So far, Ice Nation. Yeah, I think Ice Nation beats Ghost Nation right now, too. Although Ice Nation, as far as we know, they are not all robots, even if some of them had been possessed by robotic viruses at some point in time. Drink if you were thinking about the hundred. <laughs> so, so the ghost nation of it all. Uh, you know, we've got this great action scene, really fun, uh, good Western sequence in an episode that otherwise is pretty heavily sci-fi. And really, Westworld has really been on that gear, I think, for the past at least two episodes, if not three episodes, has, has been very heavy on the sci-fi and less so on the Western. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that this scene is really cool in, in that regard. But I, I think that the ghost nation, you know, Bringing them back into this, to me, got me thinking about the first time we saw the Ghost Nation. And the first time we saw the Ghost Nation is in Maeve's, you know, vision. You know, when she's dreaming and she's thinking back to what we later confirm is one of her previous builds. Um, and that she's only been the, uh, the madam, the main madame at the, at the Mariposa for about a year. Uh, so there's a possibility that she was living a very, very different life for a very, very long time, long before she was at the Mariposa. That everything that we see with her and this little girl and them getting attacked by Ghost Nation and other men being there, that that is maybe, that's her own personal, like, Dolores like hell you know like that's her loop is some sort of awful thing happens to her daily um so if you follow that through 
and you think about the fact that the that the ghost nation is here right now and if you think about William and Dolores's story as playing out in the past do you think that some sort of confirmation incident like something that's going to confirm the timeline theory could happen with William and Dolores stumbling upon the Maeve storyline and not only that wouldn't that you know make it kind of interesting how she sees in her vision the man in black walk into the room um does she have history with the man in black if he's william and is that something that we might be seeing soon i absolutely think so i'm looking forward to the the intersection of those timelines and characters because we've really seen very little of mave dolores and and william and the man in black and so I think you're right, the introduction, the reintroduction of the Ghost Nation, um, which I falsely thought were flash forwards, uh, <laughs> but were flashbacks from previous narratives. I think we are heading toward that. Plus, you know, we can't uh, dismiss Teddy and his, you know, realization of him being, the, you know, I still think he's Wyatt himself. But the fact that at he the very realized- least Wyatt adjacent. Yes, Wyatt adjacent. You know, he's the one shooting down everyone in the town. So I think Teddy is going to intersect more with Maeve and and Dolores. So I just can't wait. I like the idea, you know, because we're trying to find, like, charitable reads on the man in black. Uh, you know, cause, Trying. cause, cause otherwise, you know, a lot of his actions on the surface read as very, very, uh, violent and not so great and nothing that you want, you know, to not values that you want to instill in anybody. Uh, right. unless there is an alternate read where he is actually here to liberate the hosts and is secretly, you know, nursing, you know, a decades long romance with Dolores. And when he brought her into the barn, he was rejigging her memory or something like that Mm -hmm. then maybe is there if if there is some sort of crossover between the man in black and Maeve's storyline and the reason that she is seeing him in that vision and the man in black walks into the room and it seems very menacing in the moment is there going to be some other shoe that drops and is there going to be some other reveal that one of the things the man in black does he, he comes to this spot and he protects Maeve or something like that probably not uh, because I think that ultimately we're not going to get a very charitable read on the present day man in black, which is something to consider. Just something that I was wondering about. I still hold out hope because right now I need to. <laughs> so, and I feel like they would not have mentioned the foundation without planting a, that kind of seed purposefully. That's why I've completely reread the scenes you reference, like when he, you know, to play out the narrative on camera, he drags her into the barn. But, you know, instead of being rapey, what if he's reprogramming her? Or he's working either on his own or with Ford or with the outside GPS tech to reconfigure Dolores, you know, or uh, there's so many possibilities. I'm glad they don't show us really at least yet what happens in the barn, but I am still holding out hope that there is a good guy angle to the man in black. I think it would be cool. Um, anything else from the episode that you want to dig into, Joe? Anything else that popped out to you here in episode seven of Westworld? Do you think that people like Stubbs and Elsie are human? Yeah, well, you got to wonder. I mean, we've been wondering it already, um, but right. you really have to wonder about it now. And I and I think that this is a valid critique of the twist, and it's something that I think, you know, the, the Westworld haters, all you haters out there, <laughs> you know, I think that the people who, who don't love the show yet uh, and maybe never will and are, have been kind of critical of it, I think that this is there's, – there's validity to the idea that if Bernard is a secret host – can we trust that anyone is human on this show? Like, is there, is there, or are we just like going to be very suspicious of every single human reading character as actually being like Bernard and secretly a host or like that lab tech who is designed to read as a host, uh, or as a human? Um, I think that there's, there's something fair to the idea that there's too much suspicion can be, you know, a not, not wonderful thing. Um, but I, I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that? Do you think that we're, that we're meant to wonder if everybody is a host? Is that going too far down the deep end? Or is that actually something that we should be considering this idea that Elsie and Stubbs and all these other employees here, could they possibly be creations of Fords as well? It's interesting. One of the criticisms I have read uh, about this show is that people love it, but they have no emotional connection to characters, whereas they did on shows, beloved shows like Lost and um, Sopranos and Mad Men and Breaking Bad, where they had some kind of connection or felt something for the characters. And I'm I'm always surprised by that because 
that's one of the reasons I love the Bernard reveal is that, uh, you know, we grew to really be fond of Bernard and root for him. And it turns out that he's a host. So I personally don't mind watching the show with a renewed sense of suspicion. Uh, you know, there are already going to be people who are critical of critical. And so they just want to watch it and think we're overthinking it. I think that the writers, the producers of this show are thrilled with people who do take the time to question what's on screen because it's, it is sort of a choose your own adventure. So uh, I err on the side of the more, the merrier, um, you know, I think rabbit holes are healthy for the brain. And so I don't mind all the suspicion calorie free, those rabbit holes. It's true. It's, it's really true. It's like, it's great diet food, this rabbit food. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like, I like the idea of, uh, of Stubbs being a host, I think is, is a fun one, especially if he was a self-aware host, if he knew he was a host would, yes. would, um, add some comedy to the scene earlier in the series where he's like, Oh, maybe it's just part of my programming. Well, like what, what if that wasn't just a sarcastic throwaway line? What if he right. was just being, you know, himself. So I think that there is a funny idea there. Um, I feel like Elsie, I, I want Elsie to stay human. I think that she's, she's good as a human character. Who do you think ultimately has Elsie? I think that the most popular answer to that question is people think that Stubbs, that triple H, the third Hemsworth brother, that Luke Hemsworth is the one who snagged her. Are you are you still on board with that? I'm now thinking it's it's Ford or someone who's working with Ford. Mm. Yeah, I, I am. I, I don't know why, but I'm leaning in that direction now because I feel like she's going to be a pawn in Ford's game. And she's going to live, damn it, but she's going to be a pawn. And I think that Bernard's going to get his job back by rescuing Elsie. Okay. That being said, Elsie doesn't need rescuing, and Elsie is my favorite character because she has so few Fs to give. None. Um, Zero And I Fs. feel like that's what makes her the most human and why I like her. She's um, young and sassy, and uh, she's really fearless. I'm going into that dark basement to, you know, find the glitch. It, it's it's uh, She stands out to me because she's not like any of their characters, and I do care for her. And so, hashtag save Elsie. Hashtag save Elsie, indeed. All right, well, in the spirit of hashtag save Elsie, I thought that this was a fun idea that was proposed to us by Josh the Seminarian Returns. <laughs> uh, Josh the Seminarian Returns this week and says, with one human dead and two hosts retired in Clementine and the Stray, who else do you think is at risk to join the Westworld Deadpool? before the season concludes mm. uh joe one of the one of the fine traditions here on post show recaps is to do the death draft normally we do these <laughs> earlier in our seasons in our coverage when we're doing this for walking dead or game of thrones but this show has just finally drawn first blood for a human Teresa is dead we also presumably retired some hosts here in Clementine um, do you want to do you want to stop down and make some predictions here do you want to do a death draft with me right now I do let's do it okay so this is how it's going to work we're both going to pick uh, let's do let's do two people each we'll keep it kind of small okay. because there's only three episodes left here uh, so you're going to pick one then I'm going to pick one then I get to pick again and then you get the final pick so you'll get the first and last pick so joe mm. for you of every single character on the board whether it's a human or a host who do you think is not going to survive the first season of westworld and if it's a host like i i would count it if it's like a complete scrubbing of a build like if the Bernard personality is totally killed and now we have like Jeffrey Wright is in pure Arnold mode or a completely different character or is like the new secret king of Westworld. Uh, <laughs> he lives in Pariah. You know, if, that, if something like that happens, but the actor remains on the show, I would count that as a character death. Okay. Okay. I'm ready with my first choice. Logan. Yeah, I thought maybe <laughs> I thought maybe you would go with Logan. I think Logan is a really, really good pick. Uh, I think that Logan, Ben Barnes, you know, especially if you're buying into the idea that the William and Logan stuff takes place in the past, I don't see Ben Barnes making it past this season. Uh, I think that's a good pick. He would probably have been number one on the board for me as well. Okay, what's your choice? All right, so I get two back-to-backs. Uh, I get two back-to-backs here, and I think it's it's just too juicy to resist, like, the Lee Sizemore death scene. Uh, 
I, oh. I feel like, you know, him getting like impaled, uh, by a tequila bottle or getting like <laughs> tossed onto the Westworld virtual map and then like urinated on or something awful yes. like that. I feel like, uh, I feel like that is certainly a possibility. I think that we could see Sizemore go. Um, with Good my choice, with my next choice, I'm trying to decide whether I want to go, go obvious you know, go with someone who I think is pretty clearly not long for this world or more of a swing. Which way should I go? Which would you prefer? Uh, do a swing. All right. The swing is, I think we'll lose Robert Ford. Uh, no. I think, well, you know, I do wonder, you know, how do you get Anthony Hopkins to do a television <laughs> show? Uh, and maybe you get him to do a television show by saying, it's just 10 episodes. You'll have a really good arc. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, that's all that you get. That's all that you need to put into it. I hope that I'm wrong because he's been so majestic. He's been so good on the show. And his character certainly right now is in a very compelling spot. But I could see if there's some sort of Arnold insurgency that's going on here that Ford, for all of his arrogance and all of his belief that he is the god of this place, I could see him being in for a fatal reckoning. Uh, so that's my big swing. Uh, if you do not pick who my other choice would be, I, I, I will reveal it after you make your final call here. Take Anthony Hopkins out of the equation, and as it stands after seven episodes, how do you see Dr. Ford dying in ten episodes? Ooh, I, you know, I think that the, the sort of the, the, the Chekhov's gun in the drawer here is that Ford has all these voice commands and all of this, you know, very easy, you know, blink of your eye, not even, doesn't have to lift a finger control over Westworld. And at some point, that could go away. And if that goes away in a pivotal moment when some of these hosts are becoming self-aware and are no longer listening to their, you know, core programming of don't kill anybody, especially not me, Robert Ford, that I could see some sort of turnaround there, uh, some sort of moment where the hosts physically rebel against a Ford who is not able to use his ability to stop them. Okay. I was just curious about that, you know, because with three episodes left, I would be surprised on a character level but not surprised on an actor level i think i think that there's ways to do it uh, and especially if like ford were able to like upload his consciousness somewhere i think ford could still be a ghost in the machine um we'll see it's a i just i feel like there's you know th- there's that great tradition of the television show having the massive you know star uh for a year and right. you know, they they get rid of the they get rid of that actor in a really big way. Uh, so I could see, I could see things building that way for Ford. Well, on the same level, but maybe a level down, I'm going to uh, go out on a limb and say, as much as I love James Marsden, that Teddy as a host will be retired after this season. Wow, permanent permanent loss of Teddy. Yes, because. Now that I'm more convinced than ever that William is the man in black and that, that William and Dolores are tied. Uh, you know, Teddy also has a romantic thing going on with Dolores, and I feel like he's going to be the host pawn that we're going to we're going to really miss when all is said and done, and he's probably toast. So Teddy's going to get booned. We were talking. That's just about my wild choice. A few podcasts ago, so he's going to get booned. Uh, he's th- going to get booned a little later than Boone. You know, that's such a classic James Marsden ending. If that's <laughs> if that's how it goes <laughs> for James Marsden, always a always a bridesmaid. Uh, never, uh, wasn't he actually in 27 dresses? I think I yeah. believe he was. And listen, I like him a lot on this show. I feel like he's shown more range on this show than I've seen in a lot of his movies. Yeah. And so my other choice, by the way, would have been Stubbs. Although I really like having a Hemsworth on the small screen. I like having a Hemsworth on the small screen as well. Stubbs is a good pick. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you Stubbs if you want to add one more and then I could add my, my final yes. pick. All I'll, right. I'll take Ashley Stubbs for three points, please. Okay. I feel like that's a good pick. Like even if he's a host, like, you just see, you you could totally see him just getting you know incinerated at some point. Like he's always in harm's way. I feel like that guy, or Agreed. always has the potential for harm's way. All right, so the obvious pick for me is Sylvester. I feel like okay. I feel like uh, Maeve <laughs> Maeve doesn't leave this season without making good on that promise to gut him like a trout or something close to that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Sylvester and Felix are kind of like the bulk and skull of Westworld, and they're <laughs> you know going to be like giggling their way through multiple seasons of. This this show but i kind of feel the more likely outcome is death for sylvester so i will take sylvester as my third pick 
So Evil Whedon is on the board. Evil Whedon is on the board. All right. So Joe's team of people that she thinks could die before the end of season one, Logan, Teddy, and Ashley Stubbs. I have Lee Sizemore, the writer. I've got the doctor, Robert Ford, and technician, Sylvester, a.k.a. Evil Whedon. That's my team. That's your team. Let's see how this goes. Let's see what what we what kind of uh, what kind of results we get with three episodes left. That's it. Three episodes left of Westworld season one, and then the ten year wait for season two begins. <laughs> you know what? I think that we're used to it with Game of Thrones, and so we are accustomed to it at least when it comes to HBO and high quality television. I hope so. I hope so. All and right. And I think. You know, it's it's a year over year away, but I think Josh and I, if we can, we'll definitely come back and podcast about season two of Westworld. Let's hope so. Let's hope that there's no reason that we are not able to do that. That would be very disappointing. <laughs> yes, uh, please. So, all right. So follow along with what we are doing here on the Westworld podcast. You can subscribe at postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld. We would love it if you would leave your reviews, your star ratings. Be honest. Be kind if you'd like. Don't be, you know, kind if you don't want to, but, you know, try to be nice. That would be great. Everyone uh, has been. Everyone has been. It's been very very lovely we've enjoyed interacting with you guys and on that note you can send us email westworld at postshowrecaps.com you can also tweet at joe and i joe is at joe opinionated like opinionated with a j i'm at round howard i think we said hashtag tinfoil nonsense earlier in the episode and also enjoyed hashtag mave on the run either of those will work uh anything else from you joe Hashtag save Elsie. Hashtag save Elsie as well. Yes, that is exactly what we need. A little bit of hashtag save Elsie here for Colin Stone, if no other reason. <laughs> totally. Yes, that's exactly it. All right, Joe, take care. We'll be back next week talking more Westworld. Only three more to go. Let's do it. Bye. Bye. Bye.